Hello and welcome to the Cox's Talks podcast series. My name is Leon Aslano and I am delighted to introduce today's topic, the teaching of history in schools in Armenia and Azerbaijan. School curricula across the world have a tendency to present histories through the lens of so-called great figures and tumultuous events. These histories are generally monolithic in nature and prevent nuanced understandings of history from developing in the minds of students. The educational systems in Armenia and Azerbaijan are no different in this sense. But of course, they have their own idiosyncrasies with their own Soviet and national heritages. In this episode, we will discuss how history is taught in schools in both countries through the lens of national homogeneity, leaving little to no room for nuance and overlap. Diana Yailoan will now introduce the speakers. Thank you, Leo, for your nice introduction and hello, everyone. I'm happy to introduce our guest for this podcast discussion. Our historian from Armenia is Flora Hazarian, who is a fourth-year PhD candidate in the Department of Comparative History at Central European University in Vienna. Her research titled On the Age of the Center of Political Power, Informal Politics of Catholic Armenians in Early 19th Century Istanbul stands at the intersection of religious and political history of the Armenian community in particular and the Ottoman Empire in general. And our historian from Azerbaijan is Mir Kamran Husseinli, who is an MA alumni in East European Studies at University of Bologna and Nationalism Studies at Central European University. Mir Kamran's academic interests lie with a comparative approach to the 19th century nation-building processes in small subject nation groups of Tsarist Russia. He works as a modern history teacher at Baku Landau School. Hello, Flora, and hello, Mir Kamran, and thank you very much for accepting our Caucasus Talks podcast invitation. I would also like to thank and welcome everyone who is listening to us. So let's start with Flora and uh, the situation with the history textbooks in Armenia. So, Flora, uh, what are the periods of history that the school textbooks focus on most prominently and why? For instance, which time periods and with which imperial or state borders? Uh, thanks, Diana. Like, I am very delightful to be here. Thanks for the invitation. And I wanted just to start with the highlight that Armenian school books recently changed. So before 2012-13, we had a different system of school books, which was from grade 5 to grade 8. And we were having the uh, separation of uh, ancient period and antiquity, then the sixth grade would go to middle ages, seventh grade will be early modern period and eighth grade to modern period. Right now, with the change of the schools from basic 10-year school system to, uh, to basic school, intermediary school and high school, we have a different system of school books. So they have still the same four-year school books system. And then they have the advanced one for the last two years of school, which is going more in depth towards the same history that they are studying in the previous four years. But nevertheless, when I was looking and comparing these two versions of uh, Armenian history school books, I have seen that all of them are concentrating basically on the same thing divided between four years, being the first year, ancient period, antiquity, and then middle ages, early modern period, and modern period for the last one. And not surprisingly, all of these 
would not connect to the neighboring countries or to the region. It is going to be predominantly about great powers, great empires, and what was the relation with Armenia. So if it's if we are speaking about Iran and former empires, Sassanid, Sefivid, it will be the relationship with Iran on one side and then with Roman Empire, with Byzantine Empire, Arab invasion, Seljuks, etc., etc., etc. So it's only Armenia in relation to what was happening major in the world. Uh, thank you, Flora. And uh, now I'd like to hear about the situation in Azerbaijan. Mir Kamran, uh, could you tell us what are the periods of history that the school textbooks in Azerbaijan focus on most prominently and why? Um, thank you. Thank you for the invitation and thank you for the question, Diana. Um, I think um, the, the way Flora has, uh, has mentioned, uh, so uh, um, the, the school textbooks has changed in the last 10 years in Armenia. I think it's the same in, in Azerbaijan. So before, uh, the, the periods were divided from 6th grade until 11th grade, uh, starting from uh, starting from antiquity uh, to the contemporary history. But right now, it is divided from 6th until ninth grade, uh, making the basic uh, basic um, study of from, from antiquity to modern period, and 10th, 11th graders study more in-depth uh, version of, of these years. Um, but um, actually, I would want to mention one more thing before digging into... The, the, uh, the discussing uh, the, the textbooks and how the textbooks are written. I also wanted to give a disclaimer to myself and to also all of us. Uh, the disclaimer that the, 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 um, the national histories or the, the about the national history and national history writing in general. Um, so as, as we live in the paradigm of nation states, uh, which is a very young phenomenon, and the practice of national history writing is also very young and recent one. Uh, so, um, like we all know that the the uh, nation states came into existence starting from French Revolution, right? So they were only in in the Middle Ages or in the antiquity. They were only dynasties and religious sectarian communities. There were no modern nations. Uh, therefore. Um, I would say the history that we know concerning antique period and period of Middle Ages is rather dynastic history, and it is not the history of the people. Uh, but as we come closer to the period of modernity, we see what? We see the demise of the dynasties and we see emergence of popular and nationwide rule, right? Which makes it more relevant to talk about, for us to talk about national history uh, in the modern period rather than uh, talking about dynastic history of the Middle Ages and interpreting it as a national history. So I just wanted to give this the difference between these different periods uh, so, uh, so the audience can also uh, um, see that uh, there is, in, the, in these school textbooks, there are these such methodological shortcomings. Uh, and, uh, but we are not going to take these sh shortcomings into consideration. We are simply going to call all of these periods as national histories of Armenia and Azerbaijan. Um, um, so I just also wanted to mention uh, this, this part. But in general, uh, I think uh, if I have to divide and if I have to um, uh, speak about certain prominent periods, I think um, the, the way they entail the prominent periods, I think firstly, uh, what I have 
observed Azerbaijani history puts prominence to a period where those of the Turco-Muslim dynasties uh, comes to its peak, such as um, Atabes or Garagoyunlu confederations. Um, so they they put these these uh, larger dynasties that existed in uh, the they stretched from Caucasus to the Iranian plateau as as part of their history and as part of their national history. Uh, but when it comes to uh, like like uh, the demise of these dynasties in 18th and 19th century, they start focusing on to the to the uh, local canates that existed in the in the region. So there is this kind of two approach: the approach that they take. Uh, these bigger dynasties as part of their national history. And uh, uh, when these dynasties uh, start falling apart, they take uh, canates uh, into consideration as part of their national history. So these two uh, are the main points that I see Azerbaijani history school books put a prominence uh, uh, in, 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 its, uh, in the narrative. So that's how uh, I think I would... I would I go, but yeah, we can continue um, further. Uh, thank you, Mir Kamran. And what you both are saying with Flora is very interesting in the sense that uh, national historiography in Armenia and Azerbaijan are predominantly focusing on the power relations and political rulers, while largely dismissing the agency of ordinary people and the interactions both within the societies and between the societies. Uh, here we can mention, uh, for example, the critical importance of the social history as a rising subdiscipline around the globe and how such a bottom-up approach to history allows us to learn about different ethnic and religious communities that lived side by side in the region. Uh, my next question is to Mir Kamran. Uh, are there any particular stereotypes attributed to the nation in the textbooks? Uh, how are neighboring people's countries characterized in relation to your country and in relation to themselves? I see. So uh, when I think about the stereotypes, um, I, I can come up with, uh, with um, uh, two main stereotypes when I look at the uh, uh, school textbooks. First stereotype, I think, is uh, the way Azerbaijani nation is depicted, uh, they are depicted as, like, especially in the in the Middle Ages, the period of Middle Ages, uh, they are depicted as the overlords of the region, both in the Greater Middle East as well as in the South Caucasus region, which uh, the, the, the way they look at it, they justify it by, by the long-term dynastic existence against, as I mentioned before, those of the dynastic existence uh, uh, in the region. And uh, this is the first uh, stereotype I see. And the second stereotype, which is more connected to the modern period, this stereotype is also has also shaped the idea of Azerbaijani uh, identity. Uh, it is a stereotype of divided nation. Uh, that's, the, that's how they see themselves. This stereotype starts from the early 19th century, where the Tsarist Russia and Gajar Persia divided the territories uh, uh, be, between, uh, between each other by the Aras River, you know, those of the Gulistan and Turkmenchai treaties and so it describes Azerbaijani people 
the people that were split into two and the way it is described as if they were split into two on purpose by this great power. So this part is also is very similar uh, the modern period of depiction of Azerbaijani nationhood in that respect sounds very similar to the Armenian one. For instance, Armenian, as I see, as uh, Flora mentioned, Armenian uh, uh, nationhood and history is depicted most of the period as the uh, nation who has been uh, who has been divided and always who has been sandwiched between two different empires. So here I see the same in the case of Azerbaijan. Uh, so that's how uh, I can see. Uh, but con considering considering the, the neighboring peoples, I think um, uh, I would uh, like to hear Flora's opinion as well regarding the way, of, the way the stereotypes about Armenian nation. Maybe we can discuss a bit about this and then we can go to the... Because uh, I don't want to talk too much and... and and um, um, exhaust our, our listeners. Uh, so um, I would also like to see, see what Flora says about the stereotypes, uh, if you may, Diana. Sure, thank you. So first of all, I wanted to highlight, thank you very much for mentioning the nation state and dynastic rule division, because I think the main problem that we are having right now with our school books is that we just forget about this division and we are regarding everything from the ancient ages as like one national history. And that is creating all the pitfalls that we are falling in, in regards to writing history and teaching it. And going back to the question about the stereotypes, I guess unlike the Azerbaijani stereotypes, which have like two different distinct versions, which is the Middle Ages and them being overlords and the new, new modern period of them being divided nation. Armenians have like one straight line of this general idea of them, which is going. First of all, it's the claim of the ancientness that they have been in the location from the prehistoric time, even before the Noah, before the flood, before the Bible was written. The other one is the whole idea of one united Christian nation. So there is no variation. There is no possibility of any denomination existing. This is one nation which is, as like everywhere is claimed, first accepted Christianity, and this is a strain of thought which is going throughout. And maybe another one is the, because of already what I mentioned, being part, like on the other side with Rome and Iran and then uh, Byzantium and then Ottomans constantly sandwiched between two great powers. Another thought is the is the, the stereotype is of Armenians being fighters for liberation. This is another thing which is constantly going. No matter who is invading what they are doing, it's always Armenians in the middle fighting for their liberation. If we will put basically in one sentence, what is the Armenian stereotype? Is an ancient Christian country which was constantly fighting and still is fighting for its own liberation and for the ideologies and the atrocities against them. I, but also, it's it's really interesting because um, um, I would I was because uh, in the in the case of Azerbaijan there was there is one more stereotype I see uh, this in in the case of Azerbaijan uh, the idea of victim victimization so this is the second stereotype they put to themselves first was the divided nation the second was the victimized victim nation uh, which was actually uh, built up uh, it was built up. Um, oh, like uh, as a reaction to the to the to the recent events in the 90s 
uh, the, the Nagorno-Karabakh war and like the way the war has ended up in 90s and, and the, the IDP and the refugee crisis. So all of this has, has, uh, has been built and it gives the, the, the stereotype to the nation as a victim of, of certain groups and certain like perpetrators. This is the way it is. Uh, uh, this is the second stereotype that I observe in the school textbooks. Uh, so I just also wanted to mention this way there, there is a similar, similar uh, pattern. And this is what also I wanted to mention. Uh, thank you, Mirkamran and Flora. And Flora, in your opinion, what is omitted in the history books? Could you illustrate by giving some examples? Hey, yes, sure. So this is my favorite part of the history, what is omitted and why it is omitted. I think, again, like if we, I will just like circle back to what I was saying previously, the most omitted part for me when I was rereading these textbooks is actually the diversity. So there is no diversity, even if we are speaking like from the very beginning, from the first course, it's saying that there is Eastern and Western Armenia, greater hike, lesser hike. And then you always know that one part was under the rule of a different culture and an empire. The other part was under the completely different one. And if we will count how many invasions and empires came and went by, you can understand how many diverse cultures we are speaking about. And even though like so the sections are going for me, like this is what, what I was perceiving when I was reading. It's always the historical part, like great empires, great men, and then invaders coming, we are defending or like we cannot defend ourselves. And then comes a tiny part, which is like arts and crafts, what I call like basically the Armenian culture and literature, what was happening around that period. And systematically from one year school book to another year of school book, when I'm seeing this, I, I notice only them speaking about Armenian culture, them speaking about this and that important Armenian historical cultural figure, but there is no context. There is no idea of like borrowings, which, which would supposedly come from Byzantine Empire. The only time when they're speaking about borrowing is Hellenism, that there was an Armenian pagan pantheon and then Hellenism came and it shifted the narrative and the idea of religion. But again, the problem is, that like later on when we are learning in university, we understand that even this Armenian paganism was not purely Armenian as it is presented there. They are speaking about Armenian gods and there is no reference whatsoever to the Persian religion, to Zoroastrianism, where we know, for example, that the head god of Armenian pantheon was Aramast, who is the same Ahura Mazda in Persian. Or we are speaking about goddess Anahid, which is the same Ardvisura Anahata in Persian. So there are no these kind of connections. And the kid which is reading these books, growing up with this idea that there is only this, and with the, with the names that are put around there, the most precious, the most beautiful, masterpiece, etc. They are growing up having only an idea about Armenian culture and them being the most important and the only one without proper context. I guess this is one of the problems, one of the things that are omitted in the history books that I would say as a first thing. The other one is the comparative approach. You already mentioned, Diana, about bottom-up approach that is non-existent here. So this comparative approach and maybe local studies, which would actually speak about region on its own and the survival and existence of people here without invasion. So there is no period of peace. 
they speak about administrative systems from year after the year. Like there were Romans and this was the Roman administrative system. And came Byzantines and this was the Byzantine administrative system. And then comes Ottomans and this was the Ottoman administrative system. But Ottoman administrative system in regards to Armenians, for example. Byzantine administrative system in regards to Armenians again. So you don't understand what Byzantine Empire was about and whether this administrative system, which was designed is specifically for Armenians, or it was designed for this region, borderland, which was Armenia or Caucasus at this time. So these are the things that are highly omitted and I think are creating precisely this wrong perception. I know that the course is titled Armenian History, and along with it you have also the world history, which uh, are taught in schools. But again, I think the proper contextualization of an event, even when the textbook is called Armenian history, is necessary for them even to link to the world history, to the topics that they are learning from another book. Thank you, Flora, for your extensive explanation. And I agree with you that this is not just an issue of the Armenian history textbooks, but also the issue of the nature and purpose of the national uh, historiography and national uh, teaching at schools itself. Those we are talking about a more global issue of national history teaching in different parts of the world. And I would like also uh, to learn from Mir Kamran, what are the omissions in the Azerbaijani history textbooks? And uh, Mir Kamran, could you give us some examples? Uh, thank you, Diana, and thank you, Flora. Flora talked about the diversity, the, the omitted diversity, which um, I think is the same case in the in the in the case of Azerbaijan. Uh, so I will I will touch upon uh, not only the case of uh, the omitted period of omitted or like I, I want to describe both Georgians and Armenians because these are the neighboring uh, communities. So these three. So I, I want to focus these three communities mainly. So uh, speaking of the Georgians, for instance, the way Georgians have been characterized in the Azerbaijani history textbooks, it actually changes the character, uh, the stereotypes given to the Georgians. It changes with regard to the nature or the quality of relations between the, uh, between the two, uh, two geographically uh, states uh, existing in these, these two parts. For instance, if you look at the, the period of the Georgian Tsar David, David IV, that, uh, this is the period where the, uh, the there is there is um, there are wars uh, between the Shirvanshah state and the Georgian state, and because of this, David IV is depicted as someone with sly nature, whose sole aim, as if whose sole aim has been only to occupy Azerbaijani lands. Uh, so there is this kind of uh, a negative uh, like depiction of of uh, Georgia as a country. In, in, in the David's period. But when it comes to the period of uh, George III, his successor, George III is presented someone with good nature uh, because simply the Shirvan Shahs and the, and the Georgians, uh, they established friendly relations and good economic ties with, with so this George III and Shirvan Shah Aksitan had good uh, economic and political relations. So the relations with Georgia is depicted, it, it, it changes, the description, it changes. Uh, but we, we see what? We see here the, the, the mentioning of at least Georgia as a state in the neighboring region, right? 
But uh, the, the problem when it comes to the case of Armenians, what I see in the Azerbaijan history textbooks, there has been no mention of any Armenian state or any Armenian dynasty that existed in the region. So, for instance, in Azerbaijan school textbooks, you, you, you won't see any mention of Armenian, for instance, Bagratid dynasty, nor you will see any of the local Armenian principalities that existed in the region, such as Vaspurakan, Sunik, or Dvim principalities. You, you will not see any of these which is the, 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 the main thing that, uh, that should be, like this is the omitted part, and it is uh, omitted on purpose, uh, we can say. Uh, um, but um, for instance, I, I can also give another example, the example of Shah Abbas period. So in, in, I think in 1605, there, is a, like, there were uh, Safavid Ottoman wars, and in these wars, Shah Abbas used scorched earth tactic against Ottomans. And with these tactics, Shah Abbas deported 300,000 uh, of its subjects from Ararat Valley and surrounding regions uh, back to the centers of Iranian plateau. So in, in Azerbaijan school textbooks, this part is, it is mentioned that 300,000 of the people were, were um, deported from the region. But it gives no mention of the, the ethnic or religious, uh, uh, like, uh, like it, it gives no mention of the ethnic or religious origins of the deportees, which is another thing that I, I saw very much existent and very much problematic in the case of Azerbaijani uh, history textbooks. Um, I, I can even go further, for instance, the case of Karabakh Khanate, when, when they described Karabakh Khanate, it does talk about Armenian Maliktums, those of the Jerabert, Varan, Gulistan, or Dizak and Kachan Maliktubs, but it gives no mention of the people, like people as subjects living there, or it, it mentions these Maliktums as, as a group of uh, marginal relevance. So we can see that uh, uh, there is, there is um, this proportional approach. Uh, when it comes to Georgians, it is depicted uh, be it uh, like at one period positively, at another period negatively. But when it comes to the case of Armenia, it is not either mentioned as a marginal group or it is not mentioned at all. So that's what I observe in the history textbooks in, uh, of Azerbaijani, I mean, Azerbaijani history textbooks. And it is uh, like the, the Flora mentioned about the diversity. And therefore, it came to my mind that this is another thing that we should give rather diverse and rather like, like holistic approach to the history writing. We have to uh, like uh, be able to uh, use um, um, each other's primary sources and integrate these these uh, these histories into part of our histories. Like, um, of course, like as, as Flora mentioned, like these are the national histories we understand. But there is no such a thing as national history without the context. We need to take a look at the context context and and uh, write the history. In, like in, the, in relation of, of our countries, let's say, within the uh, context of relations of the other countries and other neighboring uh, states. So that's, that's the thing that I wanted to mention about, uh, like, which is very, very uh, visible, uh, the, the, this omitted part regarding Armenian, Armenian existence in, uh, in, the, in, in the neighboring region, in the Azerbaijani history textbooks. Yeah, 
this was really interesting and it reminded me something from the Armenian history textbooks that I was reading. And when I was a child, I was not really concentrating on them. But now learning Ottoman and stuff, this is actually was striking really my eye and it was really bugging me. So I was on the seventh grade book and in the very beginning, it's speaking about like again, Meliks and stuff. Uh, when it comes to uh, Artsakh and ruler of Artsakh, it's saying that the ruler was Yesai Abu Musa. So in the Azerbaijani scholarship, this person is known as Caucasian Albanian, whereas in the Armenian version, this person became completely Armenian, like in, from the ruling Armenian uh, elite families, etc., etc. And another thing which was striking me was another case when again we're speaking about Artsakh, the Armenian noble family of Hassan Jalalians. So the question here is that out of a blue, you always have this, like, you know, a little bit Iranized, Persianized Armenian names. And sometimes even for some Armenian kingdoms, they would mention that the kings were like partially Iranians, Persians. And this, this was Armenian kingdom, which was founded there. But when it comes to Artsakh and when you are having like, you know, Turkic and Arabic influences, when you clearly see that this is not a Persian influence. Do you have no idea from where this came? But out of a blue, they are just Armenians who are named Yesai Abu or like Hassan Jalal, etc. No context, nothing is given. You have no idea. Another thing that struck me was when we were coming, like you know, already to the 19th century, to the issue of Yerevan Khanate. Very talked, and the textbook is giving the whole idea of Yerevan Khanate, how it was organized, etc., etc. But there is no name of the ruler of Yerevan Khanate. But when it comes to Yerevan, the center of it, and the mayor of the city, like, you know, as they will say, like Kalantar, then they are saying, yeah, and the mayors of Yerevan were, like, from Armenian noble families of Melik Agamalians. The question comes, but there was a Yerevan Khanate, and if you know perfectly who was the ruler of the city or, like, you know, the center, then why you are not saying who was the ruler of Yerevan Khanate? So these are, like, strategic omissions when... A school kid will, real, will not realize this. They will be like, oh, yeah, there is an Armenian name and they are going with it. But when you are understanding the administrative system, you understand that at, at some point, maybe somewhere there was not an Armenian. So it was not necessary. It was not important. It was against what is supposed to be in a textbook. So they are just perfectly omitting these parts. And apart from omissions, I wanted also to add one comment about what is existing there and what you can like con constantly see in the textbooks. It's the language. I don't know if you paid attention on the language, how it is organized. So usually it will start like the invaders, invasions, invader, invasions. And then it will be like liberation, uh, liberation, rebellion, liberation, rebellion. And then when we are coming more close to the nation states, then the narrative is completely shifting. And then it's again like Armenian liberation. But I was actually circling like how many times there is like in bold and italic versions, like Azerbaijan, the aggressor of the war, like and this war was forcefully impelled on the Artsakh population. So these kind of things. I think this is also important to notice, like what is actually written and how it is written, because the passive brain of a school kid is just a sponge soaking everything. And the terminology that you are using, the way that you are using is actually giving an impression of how history was there. And Another addition to this, maybe for the very modern period, I just wanted to give an example of like that I have lived through this and I know what was happening and how it is written in the history school books. So it's uh, grade eight, no, grade nine. Last period after the Third Republic of Armenia, modern period, they are speaking about elections of Serge Sarkisian and 1st of March. And 
there is nothing about the ideology, what was the protest about. It's just mentioning that there was like on 1st of March, 10 people died, they were protest and they wanted like, you know, re-election, etc. But the content of it, like why they were against it, what was happening actually on the ground, what were the claims, why protesters didn't want Serge Sarkisian to continue to be on the power. These things are perfectly omitted. Again, this is published in 2013. He was still on power. I don't know if there is going to be any textbook coming out right now, how they are going to describe this story. But I just wanted, like, this was striking me because I'm seeing this and I'm like, this is not what was happening on the ground. This is not how I experienced this. And you have a completely different reality. Same comes with the, with the collapse of Soviet Union after the war. What was the situation in Armenia? We all remember that period when there was no electricity, nothing. And the textbook is not even mentioning about this. Like, no, there is no starving, there is nothing. They are just, and we were starting international relations and there were so many workplaces opened right when the Third Republic was created. So expectations, reality are completely different. And when I'm seeing this as a case example of what I actually lived, not the thing that I studied separately later on, but I actually lived through that. And I'm seeing the language and the way how it is used to write. I'm understanding like, you know, how much there are pitfalls for the earlier stages of the history and how much, again, knowing how much is omitted there. But I'm actually also understanding like, what is the systematic idea of how they are writing and what they are writing to say there. Uh, thank you, Florent Mirkamran. And now that you outlined the problems and omissions in the history textbooks, let us look at into the possibilities of having an alternative history writing. Mirkamran, how can we have an alternative history teaching? And what are the perspectives of having an alternative history teaching in Azerbaijan? Um, so, alternative history teaching. So, um, if we put it in into, into the... Uh, 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 school textbooks, so how we can reformulate our school textbooks, if uh, that was your question, as far as I understood it. Uh, because the history teaching uh, is always connected to the, to the school curricula, especially to the second, when it comes to the secondary school uh, children. Uh, therefore, if we, uh, if you want to reformulate the uh, um, secondary school textbooks, um, I think um, um, there, are, there are several methods that we can apply uh, to the national history writing uh, in Azerbaijan. And um, I think uh, one of the uh, methods can be the holistic method, the holistic approach, uh, where the national histories um, not only are in Ar Ar Armenia and Azerbaijan, I would also add here Georgia. Uh, uh, so, so we can have Caucasus, South Caucasus region as a whole. Uh, the national histories uh, in, in these countries can be written in a way that it acknowledges uh, first and foremost the basic existence of the other groups equally the existence of, of its own. So the, it has to... Uh, Acknowledged it. This, this, this part. It, it still hasn't gone to that level of acknowledging each other's existence, each other's ex dynastic ex existence, or or existence as as a group or as a community. Uh, so another thing is is uh, the the neighborly relations between the states and the neighborly relations between societies, be it the period of antiquity or Middle Ages or modern period. So uh, they need to 
reformulate uh, the, the, the history textbooks uh, while describing the neighborly, neighborly relations, the relations that uh, had been described as perpetrators and the, and the survivors. Uh, instead of using this language, as Flora has mentioned, uh, the, the historians could, uh, could like, use a different language, the language that, that uh, uh, implies a certain inclusivity uh, to itself, and um, um, and additionally, I also think that uh, the, the way to create alternative history, uh, like not only changing the narrative, but also rewriting the history from the scratch, the way to do that, uh, the, the, we, we, we should, uh, the historians, uh, the scholars of, this, uh, uh, of the, those of the who write school textbooks, they should actually collaborate with each other, both in Armenia, in Georgia, and in Azerbaijan. These three of the scholars, they should collaborate with each other and they should uh, try to use each other's primary sources. So this also would, would give a, a, a completely different, different, uh, uh, different, a picture of, of three of these uh, uh, national histories that uh, we can we can see uh, by using these primary sources how the, the the school textbooks how it will change and how uh, uh, holistic and how inclusive it will look like um, additionally um, I uh, I want to also add up something re regarding a, a interdisciplinary approach but um, I don't want to I, I want to hear what Flora says uh, regarding this question, then I might continue later. Thank you. First, I want to say I completely agree with you. And thank you for bringing up these approaches and also the major question of sources. And like, you no, know, to add on what you were saying about the sources, I also think that we have to first re-educate those people who are writing these books to try to understand that like the source which is written is not uh, like you no know, historical fact check. Like the source can lie, and for this, in order to understand, it's first of all people, scholars, historians who are in Armenia, who are in Azerbaijan, who are in Georgia, have to be disposed to more new approaches. And in order to do this and like to change the narrative that we have in our school books, I think we have we are again circling and coming back to what Diana is saying: bottom-up approach, social history, like. Of course, the invasions and like you know wars and fights—they are major part of history. But that's not what history is only about. Like you cannot have fights and wars and like you know massacres, mutilations, etc. There was also a time of peace, but this time of peace, all these textbooks are jumping from. So they are not giving a room for an imagination that there was also a coexistence. And when you will have this regional history? when you are actually looking on this coexistence, right? So when the social history is omitted, it's omitting also the whole idea of seeing how the life without war was actually happening in Caucasus. And this is something that we have to bring back. So maybe scale down a bit on the war and fights or like make history school books bigger or maybe like even cancel those two years of repetition in the end and that just like two more years of history, but like having everything included inside of that with, of course, comparative approach. And yes, this is something that has to be done in a collaboration with like three country scholars. Otherwise, it will be Armenian sources about Azerbaijan, Armenian sources about Georgia or Georgian sources about Armenia, Georgian sources about Azerbaijan. 
which is not the way how a school book has to teach a regional history. And I just wanted to mention this project about between Armenia and Turkey. They had this idea of changing the narrative in uh, some of Armenian and Turkish schools to change the textbook, to change the narrative. But they were more focusing on geography. And this is also another important thing that I, I think we should concentrate on. Again, I will just bring an example from these Armenian school books. So the very beginning, the very first class of Armenian history is starting like with Armenian highland, Armenian plateau, Armenians being there for millennia, creating history there. And then it's like, you know, greater Armenia, lesser Armenia, and then all of this division. And then there were like these 15 regions which were part of Armenia. And among them, there are mentioned also these problematic uh, regions that I would say problematic, which is like, you know, Western Armenian claims right now or Nagorno-Karabakh claims right now. So the history school book from the very first lesson starts with mentioning these parts as part of Armenian highland, claiming that Armenian highland is Armenian history and Armenian civilization. And this is from where the moment from where you have to regard Armenian history until the Third Republic, until nowadays. This is all Armenia. We lost it, but we want it. So this is something that has to also change. There should not be like, you know, the idea of Eastern Anatolia, Western Armenia, or like, you know, Artsakh, Nagorno-Karabakh, Shusha, Shusha. There has to be a consensus on the regional names, the historical names. You can maybe say the alternative version in Azerbaijani language, alternative language version of the name in Armenian language. But there has to be a consistency so that you are not attaching any of these patriotic nationalistic feelings to a term which is already written down there. Once you put a name on this like region, then you already have a claim to that. Intention, subconsciously, consciously, like if the tag has a Western Eastern Armenia or something like that, that's already a claim. And going on, moving on with this claim and trying to like, you know, fight another historiography, which is going to claim it in a different way. So it's going to create inconsistency and it's not going to be in dialogue in any possible future. So this is, I think, something that needs to be changed. The geographical, like, you know, eliminate the political claims from uh, geographical names of the regions that we are studying, all three countries. I, I totally agree uh, with what you've said, uh, Flora. The, 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 way, the way Azerbaijani history textbooks, uh, uh, they, the way they describe the, the region, uh, the, the imagined national space, uh, they describe it in a way that there, there is no, as if there has been no other groups and these this lands only belong to, to, the, to, the, uh, to that nation, to that community, which, which, uh, which excludes uh, the other groups, the other, uh, like the other uh, communities. And this is, more, this is mostly about the lack of diversity that we, the, we see in, in our textbooks. And the, the, the things you, you mentioned about the toponyms is also very relevant that, that that's the way to finding a consensus between the between the national history is the way forward so we can uh, uh, educate our younger generations with rather uh, less with, with no any uh, any um, irredentist having no any irredentist claims uh, to 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 uh, to the other to each other's um, uh, regions or countries. So um, this is the the. Additionally, I also wanted to uh, to uh, add one more point uh, the, about the method, uh, which is a method of of interdisciplinary approach. I think so. This interdisciplinary approach, uh, I think, should also be applied in school curriculum. For instance, uh, the right now the approach 
uh, is only the approach of, uh, um, for instance, let's take 1905 events. So 1905 Muslim-Armenian clashes are depicted as pure nationalistic collision that had been deeply rooted in the nationalist minds. So there is such essentialist and primordialist approach uh, given in the school textbook, uh, which is definitely, this, this approach is definitely bound to um, curtail students' ability to see the economic, social, and political causes of any event, of any clash, or even any, any uh, peaceful existence. So uh, this is the case that I see in Azerbaijanist textbooks, that the, 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 especially the, the events that, that uh, uh, there, there are clashes or there, there are fights, uh, it's uh, straightly, uh, it is straightly given within the lens of et ethnic hatred, which describes uh, any intercommunal clash as inherently existent, and it gives no regard to any other causes to the event. Let's, let's take economic causes, uh, like ma rather Marxist perspective, or uh, like so socioeconomic or political causes of the, of the conflict. So these are omitted. Uh, and it's because there is no interdisciplinary approach to the, uh, to the history teaching. Um, additionally, um, I also think um, we discussed about the, uh, the, about the primary sources. Uh, and I think here the, the, there is a case of cherry picking while using the primary sources. For instance, uh, while describing the 1905 clashes, the textbook gives the narrative of the nationalist intellectuals of the time. The they they uh, cite the memoirs of those of the nationalist intellectuals, uh, those who have who has rather nationalist thought. But uh, the textbook, for instance, never uh, cites uh, any other intellectuals, those, those intellectuals who disapproved these clashes and who called both communities for peace, who actually uh, collaborated with the Armenian uh, intellectuals. Like those of the uh, intellectuals we can mention, for instance, Mola Nasser Denfinkers we can mention, these, these, uh, these uh, intellectuals are not mentioned within the context of the Armenian and Azerbaijani relations. Or similarly, there is Khatabala, uh, there are Khatabala thinkers and their, 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 their journal, uh, these thinkers are not mentioned. And uh, like if, uh, there is one more, for instance, there is Devat Koch, Armenian-Azerbaijan newspaper. Uh, so these kind of collaborations are not mentioned, neither their memoirs, their primary sources, but only those of the ones that had nationalistic tone, which is uh, another thing, thing about cherry picking of the primary sources. So this is also, uh, this strikes me a lot uh, with regard to the uh, having no objective manner uh, to the history, uh, to the uh, national history, and uh, using using these these sources rather uh, rather um, um, creating a narrative that might uh, that might sound rather propagandist uh, against against neighboring countries and neighboring uh, communities. So this is very striking point that I. It, it is very it is very noticeable while while looking at the uh, the, the way the narratives have have been uh, have been made so yeah this is what also I wanted to mention yeah I completely agree with you like this is actually like something that I also wanted to like mention and it's something that is bugging me again like for a while and I guess like the reason behind this or like you no know, the question why it is done so we have to like 
think about it and it's like why why these histories are written in such a way why the school book cannot be in any different way and the simple answer is there like you know we think for a while until now and we will see like what is going to happen after this war but there was the Nagorno-Karabakh war and it was not moving forward and this is already becoming topic for these recent uh, school books that they are mentioning also a couple of times when they are speaking about the Third Republic, Robert Kocharian, Serge Sarkisian, while Levonter Petrosian, the first president resigned because the Artsakh or Nagorno-Karabakh issue was not resolved. So when you are looking on this, you are understanding that these school books, like as you said, like you know, picking cherries from the sources, they are all doing this for one simple reason. This has to fit into this, like, you know, build national narrative and identity. Otherwise, we cannot move on as a country. Like, the columns that Armenian nationalism and Armenian countries, like, relying on. The Armenian genocide and the NK war. The same, I guess, goes for Azerbaijan. So, this is the thing, like, you know, we know the reason why these school books are created in such a way. So, the issue is that how understanding and like knowing this we can attempt to change it and with that of course like you know we are going to change the nationalistic narrative but is is there a proper moment is there a proper way or like you know acceptable way to do it or when the question is going to come out this is going to be silenced or heavily criticized we see the pitfalls but the issue is like how we can change it and when is the right time and who is the person like who are the groups who can actually come up with this initiative and present it to their countries. I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think it depends on, well, uh, it depends on uh, whether the, 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 uh, those school books are written as propaganda tool for the, I don't know, for the handful of politicians or whether it is written uh, in a way that, that helps that benefits the communities rather than a handful of individuals. Uh, so this is the, the challenge that I see in, in the in the like this is part of the challenge I would say that is existent um, in the region. I also would like to add that it is important to acknowledge the history and contributions of diverse ethnic and religious communities, such as Kurds, Yazidis, Talish people, Assyrians, Lesgians, who are still largely missing from our history textbooks. These are communities that do not have a nation state of their own, and their history actually might show how intertwined the history of our countries and regions is. And moreover, the history from the angle of these communities can also help us to discover a different side of our own history. That's it for today, and thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, then do not forget to subscribe at our website to our Caucasus Talks accounts at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our Telegram channel. And you will always be notified when a new episode is out. I hope that you are living with some new interesting ideas that will help you to see the history in the South Caucasus from a different angle. And if you have any suggestions or questions, please send us an email at caucasustalks.gmail.com. 
I'm leaving you now and I hope that we will see more constructive discussions and engagements of various historians from Armenia, Azerbaijan and Georgia and surrounding regions contributing to the alternative social history of the peoples of the South Caucasus. Thank you very much. Stay tuned and have a good day.